Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Jeff, you got a slide for me? I hope it's coming. I hope it's coming. We got a couple of new guys. Some guys have drawn that have driven as far as Fairhope, Alabama to be here. I know. Fairhope, Alabama. If we can get if we can get somebody from Fairhope other than you to come, surely we can Chris. get That's right. Chris lives down there. Chris, glad to join us. Magnolia Springs. Yep. Go farther. Okay, so we had a challenge earlier this year. Phil mentioned last week, fill the pew. We didn't do so well this morning. Maybe the guys were on their way. Fill the pew. Five guys was our initial challenge. Each guy on the, in the room asked five guys to come join us by the end of the year. We would have some ridiculous number of people here in the room. Well, I'm here to report as of the week before last, we've had 41 new guys that have shown up. Guys, we're not doing our job. 41 guys is great, but we're way short of our goal of too many 400. guys. 400. 400. If we had 400 four, new guys. 400 new guys. 2%. 10. 10? Yeah, we are. <laughs> you know, I went to, I, went, I, I almost said the name of the store. I went to a store yesterday, <clears throat> got a king size candy bar for lunch. Two dollars size candy bar. King size candy bar. Two dollars and thirty four cents. I put it was cash only, no credit cards. Cash only. I put two one dollar bills on the counter and two quarters on the counter. Young lady looked at it. She rang it up on the cash register. She looked at the amount. She started counting out one, two, twenty five, fifty, a dime, a nickel, and a penny. Two dollars and sixty six cents. So, ma'am, you just paid me to take the candy bar out of the store. <laughs> well, I knew that wasn't right. How much change am I supposed to give you? 16 cents. You gave me my 250 back plus the 16 cents and the candy bar. Thank you. Have a good day. I couldn't say because you're a customer of mine. <laughs> I did call the guy that sold the physical property that said, hey, you know, you might want to do a training session on math. You're struggling a little bit. And he said, well, yeah, but the internet and cash registers in my domain too, so I'm going to get that running. Guys, I'm glad you're here. We continue in the series of Isaiah. Broken pieces. What do we do with our broken pieces? Just curious. We celebrated Easter, resurrection of our Savior. See your Savior? Do you trust him with your broken pieces? Or are you like most men and you're going to manage it? You're going to keep them concealed, keep it covered up, hide it. Don't want to bring shame to yourself. Don't want to bring shame to your family. Don't want to hurt somebody. I'll just make a vow and keep this to myself. Guys, I'm here to tell you. God's going to shine a light on it. And then what do you do? Well, I hope you're somebody who's got four or five guys that are on speed dial that you can call and say, man, I'm in a mess. My wife's put me on the couch. My wife's put me out. I need a place to stay tonight. My wife's having some issues. My son's having issues. Broken pieces. Isaiah tells us as we're studying, God will take those broken pieces and build something new. We're all works in progress. My wife asked me on occasion, she says, when are you going to be fixed? <laughs> well, if I understand what's in the scripture, I'll finish the race the day I step into heaven. Until then, I'm going to hang out in men's groups. Getting the support that I need and supporting my brothers. 
Glad you're here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. I thank you for ceasefire, for the breakfast that's provided. I thank you for my brothers, the leadership team, the men that are here, the new guys that are joining us. Lord, I pray you would open our hearts and open our ears. Allow us to hear your words and your message through Phil. Bless our time. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. I want to introduce a very special friend. William, come up here. Uh, this is my good friend, William Stitt. I uh, grew up in uh, Yazoo City. And uh, William uh, lives in uh, Fairhope. And uh, he uh, runs Bill E's uh, uh, restaurant um, down on 181. And um, um, it's where we meet on Friday morning for our, our men's group on Friday morning in Fairhope, um, men's coaching reel to reel. And um, William um, makes bacon, Bill E's bacon. Right. World famous. Uh, it is. It is awesome. It, it's. It's really uh, not even bacon when you bite into it. It's like smoked meat. Uh, it's. Uh, it's gourmet bacon uh, is what I call it. And um, you can order it. Um, and um, William, um, it is good to have you, man. It's good to be here. Good. Good. Okay. You want to say anything else about uh, no. what you do? <laughs> I'm just grateful to be here. Uh, this is a little bit bigger than our meeting room in my place in <laughs> Alabama. Our pull-down screens and video technology is not this awesome. But uh, Phil and I have become friends over the years. Uh, I grew up in Yazoo City, uh, went to Ole Miss, uh, ended up in Mobile, and then Fairhope. I've been down there for the last 25 years. You know, I see a ton of familiar faces in here. A lot of y'all might remember my daddy, uh, Bill Stitt. Uh, he grew up in Clarksdale and Ruleville. And, I uh, raised my brother and I in Yazoo City, and um, I just got a great opportunity to to do what I love, um, anything related to food and hospitality. And when I leave here, I get a chance to go talk to a bunch of high school students at Clinton High School, Catherine Sartell, uh, whose father was my minister growing up. Uh, I get to talk to them about what I do, and I'm excited about that and happy to be here with you all today. Thank you, William. Thank Thanks. you, man. <laughs> The, um, certainly the um, among the most important things that I love about uh, uh, William is that he loves Jesus uh, and he wants to do everything he can to um, promote the kingdom, build the kingdom. So um, great to have you, William. So gentlemen, I am um, excited to offer a song uh, to you this morning. Um, as we continue to go through our uh, series on uh, the power of relationship to restore and renovate us and um, looking through Isaiah. Today, what we're looking at is um, in terms of this piece of the transformation puzzle is stopping judgment in restoring grace. Um, what does it feel like to be judged? Um, it's a miserable experience. Um, and it is grace that is really the fertilizer, if you will, of growth. You will not grow uh, without fertilizer. You will not grow without grace. And the powerful words of Matthew West's song, Grace Upon Grace, um, I hope will awaken your heart um, to this idea of grace and in, 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 in the insidious nature of judgment. I want you to look at your uh, words there um, on the back of your uh, handout. Just read a couple of um, stanzas here. What reason do I have to wake up with the rising sun? Don't you think for just a minute, what reason do I have to wake up? If I wake up and I'm just feeling like I'm, I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm judged, I'm judged, I feel, ju I feel wrong. Man, you just want to pull the covers back over your head and go back to sleep. 
and not be held down by the weight of all the things I've done or have been done to me. Sometimes we're the carrier of wrongdoing and sometimes wrongdoing haunts us and confronts us. What reason do I have to feel this hope instead of hurt? How can it be I don't receive the judgment I deserve? Wave upon wave of grace upon grace, endlessly washing my sins away. I know the only reason I can stand here free of all my shame is wave upon wave of grace upon grace. May you hear the voice of God. May he awaken our hearts to what he has for us this morning. What reason do I have to wake up with the rising sun And not be held down by the weight of all the things I've done What reason do I have to feel this hope instead of hurt How can it be I don't receive the judgment I deserve Wave upon wave of grace upon grace, endlessly washing my sins away. I know the only reason I can stand here free of all my shame is wave upon wave of grace upon grace upon grace. How can you see me at my worst and still say I am loved? What promise can I stand on when I don't feel good enough? And when the enemy's reminding me of all that I've done wrong, what freedom do I have to sing this new creation song? upon grace endlessly washing my sins away I know the only reason I can stand here free of my shame is wave upon wave of grace upon grace upon Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith. Act like men, be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me on your outline uh, as we read through our introductory paragraph. The power of relationship to restore and renovate us. Isaiah 58, 12. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known 
as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community level again. God can repair, he can restore, he can renovate, he can redeem. Restoration of our soul comes when we begin our relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Restoration of our heart and mind continues because of this secure, attached relationship. So much Christian teaching tends to focus on right beliefs and right choices as the key to personal growth. But biblical evidence and modern brain science show that our character is shaped more by whom we love than what we believe. So oftentimes I run up against, if you know more, you'll do better. And I don't believe that. I mean, is that not the Pharisees? They knew a lot. I mean, if Bible trivia broke out, you'd want a Pharisee on your team, would you not? But it's uh, certainly we want to know the word of God, but we want to hear the word of God as a affirmation of who we are more than a moral teaching. No more do better um, will run out of steam. It's like running a marathon in a cul-de-sac. Eventually you run into a house. The book of Isaiah will help us see how the promise of salvation would come through the Messiah. But in addition to bringing pardon of sin, intimate relationship with Jesus renovates us wholly, mind, will, and emotion. This study is about showing how we can train our brains to relate to God based on a joyful, mutual connection with Jesus, which will lead to emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity. So today we come to stop judgment, restore grace. Now let me once again give you this overview of where we've been on this transformation puzzle. I've suggested to you that transformation is like a big uh, kindergarten puzzle in a sense. There's three big pieces. Um, the road to transformation um, is walking with God, beginning an intimate walk with God. And I truly believe that uh, in order to walk with God, you need to be reading his word daily, feeding from his word, uh, seeing how he's loving you, uh, revealing himself to you through his word, and then you need to be journaling, you need to be writing, you need to be writing. I do not believe that you can grow as God intended you to grow if you're not putting a pen to paper. Every, everything that we have, so much about our history, and about uh, 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 the, the knowledge of God even is because somebody wrote it down. And if you're not writing your life, you're living your life way too generally. And I would suggest to you, um, my bias is that you're not walking with God. You're just generally hanging out, you know, get intentional, get deliberate. Enoch walked with God. And then the second big piece of this transformation puzzle is community, it's church, it's being involved um, with other men. Um, uh, if your best friend is your wife, um, that's a good thing in marriage, but if your only friend is your wife, there's too much weight on that bridge. Too much weight on that bridge. It needs to be supported. You know, it's like having a bridge with one, one post in the middle. You know, that ain't gonna work, is it, Mark? Ain't gonna work. So it's being involved with other men. Uh, and as we often say around here, uh, um, a basketball team has five guys on the court at one time. Uh, a baseball team has nine players on the field at one time. A football team has 11 uh, on the field uh, at one time. How many guys on a life team? Four. You and three others. So what three guys do you have on your speed dial? And where, where do I get that? Uh, Jesus had 12 disciples. And how many did he have really, really close? Three. And always humors me, you know. Uh, John, the one that he loved the most. <laughs> John, John kept describing him, uh, himself that way. It's so hilarious. Like, you know, the one that he loved the most. And he had two others. 
And then David had 35 uh, warriors, but he had three mighty warriors that he was especially close to. That's recorded in 1 Samuel. And then if you think about it, if it's you and God, how many is that? Isn't that interesting? You and God, that's four. You know, you, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Got to have four guys doing community with. And then the other big uh, uh, piece of the puzzle are the skills. We've got to learn the skills. Now, you know, in, in theological terms, uh, in seminary, we call that sanctification. You're on the, on the road to being set apart, and you're learning some things. There's some skills, and there's 19 skills that we've been going through. And today, we come to uh, number 14 and number 15. I'm going to tease this out, but really number 14 is the idea of stopping judgment. Judgment has got to stop. If, if you want to grow, you've got to begin to be self-aware of how judgmental you and I are. Uh, when I get hurt, when somebody uh, steps on my toe and we're uh, dancing, what I want to do is I want to blame and criticize. I don't want to look at myself. And you know what, what, what part of me is causing this uh, rupture in the relationship? What I want to do is I want to lash out. I want to uh, strike you. I want to blame you. I don't want to look at myself. And so you've got to stop the judgment and begin to realize just how judgmental you are. Your gravitational pull and my gravitational pull is to judgment, not to grace. Um, Judgmental is like being a catfish. You want to be a catfish, just lay on the bottom and suck, because you do. <laughs> That's judgment. But if you really want to be grown, you got to be more salmon-like. And salmon swim against the current in order to keep the life cycle going. So catfish, salmon, you decide. And then the second piece is quiet interactively. Um, and the idea there is learning to understand cues of people so that we don't judge them and we can restore grace. Grace is what holds relationship together. It's acceptance. That's the newspaper English word of grace. I need more acceptance. We need to extend acceptance. Not that we allow or just completely disregard wrongdoing. I mean, yeah, there's referees in a football game. You blow the whistle, throw the flag, but you keep playing. You make the correction and you keep playing. But once again, you and I are not as far along as God intended us to be or even that you want to be, not because we don't know the right thing to do. It's because you and I suffer, I believe, from grace deprivation. If you were accepted more, if you felt accepted, if you were accepted, you could overcome that wrong behavior and, and quit trying so hard to make yourself better. As Ezekiel says, quit making your own bread. It is the bread that God gives us that keeps us alive, and that's called grace. So pick up your pen. Let's go to work. Let's do some journaling. I've got three questions. First question that I want you to respond to, and I want you to think about this for a minute. When have you felt judged? Think about that for a minute. When have you felt judged? Now, I, I had breakfast, uh, not with anybody in this room, so I'll just I'll say that, uh, recently with a friend of mine. Um, and he said some things to me that were so hurtful and I just felt judged. And, um, you know, um, I have grown, uh, so much in my life and I've, and I, and I've learned to be, um, assertive and, um, but man, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not like naturally assertive. Um, I love playing sports. I learned to be assertive on the basketball court. Um, but relationally, my style, when I get confronted, is just to pull back and shrink. 
you know, I may go from, you know, uh, feeling um, like a normal size and I feel like a grasshopper. And I'm in, I'm in this breakfast and he's saying things to me and I felt smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and by the time we left that breakfast, I hopped out of there like a grasshopper. It was miserable. When was the last time you felt like that? Misunderstood, falsely accused, um, words and labels given to you that doesn't fit. And guys, if we're going to grow and call ourselves Jesus followers and be transformed, we got to stop this judgment piece. It's, it, it, is, it is used by Satan. So, in the, so the second question I would ask you is, when have you been judgmental? When have you been judgmental? You know, I hate people who judge people. I, I look down on people who look down on people. <laughs> you know, guys, um, I told you uh, last week that, um, you know, my 94-year-old dad is um, – uh, trying to fight through a heart attack. Uh, he has told uh, my sister, uh, I'm ready to go. And we're, we're praying that God would just bring him home. You know, he got out of the hospital yesterday. Uh, he, he stubbornly has, has fought through. He can't walk. So he, he's now in a rehab center trying to get his uh, legs back under him. Um, and he's 94 years old. And he's just, you know, just tiny man. I think I'm adopted because he's about five seven, and now he's about five four. He's you know um, a whole lot bigger uh, than he is. But guys, I, I tell you uh, this morning as I stand before you, um, the judgmentalness of my dad um, just about killed me. Uh, the anger that I felt toward my dad at one point um, just about destroyed me. And, um, you know, kind of this last week, I've been thinking about my dad a lot. You know, I'm ready for him to go home. He's ready to go home, ultimate home. Glad that he knows Jesus and will be ushered into heaven and he'll be dancing at some point. Uh, but man, I've been, uh, I've been so preoccupied with the thoughts of my dad and my relationship with him through the years. I've read a letter to you that I wrote to him um, a number of years ago. I wanted to read it to you this morning because it was my personal confrontation of my judgmentalness of him uh, that sparked this letter. Um, this letter came out of a vacation from hell. You ever been on, in a vacation from hell? You know what a vacation from hell is, family vacation from hell? Too many people in too small a place for too long a time. That's the vacation from hell. Welcome to family. Family vacation. Too many people, too small a place for too long a time. Right? That's right. And, you know, the vacation, didn't, it was in Myrtle Beach, and it was just, it was a mess. You'll, you'll kind of pick up. Um, um, and so a few days go by, and, or a few weeks go by, and I wrote this letter to my dad. Dear Dad, several weeks have passed since we were together in Myrtle Beach. I've struggled since with the last couple of days of our visit. Writing you seems to be the best way of talking to you. What happened in the car the night we attempted to drive down the beach was no big deal for me. I did not mind going back to the condo. However, what developed from that episode brought back many childhood feelings that hurt. In many ways, I've tried to deny the anger and hurt I felt over the next couple of days and since, but those feelings seem to be attached to a bigger pile of feelings. The silence that came from your anger over the next two days was experienced as rejection by me. I felt like I did when I tried to get you to attend that Boy Scout meeting 30 years ago. I hated that feeling then and I hate it now. I feel so foolish in a sense a 43-year-old man bringing up childhood feelings to a 68-year-old father. I guess I'll never outgrow being a son who wants to be near his father. 
When mom followed me out to the balcony the morning after the car episode, I saw that old pattern of her covering for you. She told me you were not mad at anyone but her. Well, that did not help me because I wanted to hear that from you. Again, I felt the same feeling I felt at eight or nine or 10 when she talked to me, but you did not. As I've gotten older, my love for you has increased as well as my desire to be with you. I cannot say that getting older has made my feelings for a relationship with my dad lessen. I see the humor in the beer commercial when the son says, I love you, man. There's a real side of that picture that I cannot deny. Dad, I suffer from not handling my anger very well. Carla, the girls and others have experienced my anger more than I wish they had to. I've seen by me holding the anger inside and being silent about it causes them to feel rejected by me. I never intend that, but the anger is like a deadly gas that no one sees, but it permeates the room and chokes the life from those in its path. I wish that those last two days in Myrtle Beach had been different. I wished you would have said something to me, but there was nothing said unless I spoke to you. No goodbye, no nothing. I realized you were not mad at me, but how it made me feel could not have been much worse. I love you, even when what I experience hurts. I'm sorry that you and I both suffer from an anger problem that affects those around us. I'm trying to break that pattern. You've given so much to me. You've helped me in numerous ways. I know I probably do not show or express my thankfulness enough. You and mom are appreciated. I would like to hear from you. I'm not mad at you. I love you too much to be so. I just experienced those last two days on Myrtle Beach too painfully to act as if nothing happened. I guess many things have changed as the years have passed, but me being your son and you being my father has not changed. I love you. Phil. I sent that to my dad and um, he reaches out. Um, I call him and uh, he answers the phone. And when he realizes it's me, he starts crying. First time I'd ever heard my dad cry. Never heard him cry. And he starts um, blubbering out as best he can. He said this quote, my dad never told me that he loved me and I've never known how to tell that to you. And he just starts crying. Years of anger and bitterness were washed away. Guys, my, my dad, uh, my prayer is he'll, he'll be dancing with Jesus very soon. That's actually my prayer. And it is so freeing to know that in my files are letters and cards and poems that I've written him since this through the years that I have said everything I want to say to him and I've heard everything that I need to hear from him. There, there is no one on the planet that I have wanted all my life uh, to hear approval from and acceptance from and grace from more than my daddy. And isn't that the way we all are? I mean, this is a men's group. And guys, when we sit around a campfire and we start telling the stories of our life, we start telling stories about our dads. Good stories, painful stories, because dad is God to us when we first begin. And then we make that transition. Oh, he ain't God. God is God. And he ain't. But guys, we can develop such a harshness and a judgmentalness from the wounds that we experience, especially from our dad. It's like if we listen to the voice of our pain, then what happens is anger and judgment will fill that hole and that wound is not healed when it's filled with judgment and anger. We've got to stop the judgmentalness. So if we call ourselves uh, Jesus followers, uh, we must stop 
the judgment. We're not God. Second question I'd ask you to respond to. Question number two, when have you missed the cues of how a person you love was trying to communicate fear or distress? And what I mean by the cues is like you're sitting with somebody and you're talking to them and you're crushing them. You're judging them. You're not picking up uh, on their eyes. You're not picking up on the face. They're, they're talking to you, but you just run right over them. You're self-absorbed. Um, you're more concerned about uh, you than you are the care of another. And you know where, when I ask that question to you and I ask it to myself, what comes up in my head? My girls. How many times I've blown it with them? I have two adult daughters. I missed it. And my daughters uh, are like their mama. They're very assertive. They're very verbal. And they've let me know it through the years. And it's been painful. But it's been good uh, to experience their forgiveness. But that judgmentalness is because you're not listening. You're not looking at the nonverbal cues. You, as, we, as we've said the last few weeks, you've got to do eye contact. You've got to start looking into people's eyes and reading their eyes and communicating through your eyes. When you sit with somebody, you tell somebody with your eyes, welcome. So glad you're here. Glad to be sitting with you. Question number three. What relationship has been damaged by your immaturity? What relationship? That you're not growing. You're acting like a child. What relationship has been damaged by your immaturity? You were reactive. You were judgmental. What relationship? Of course, you know, for most of us, we could easily say marriage. I mean, I have hurt Carla so many times by acting like a child with her. And um, I've experienced her forgiveness um, so often. I mean, she is the picture of uh, the forgiveness of Jesus more than anybody um, in my life on the planet. She is Jesus in terms of her forgiveness of me. So I want you to turn to your partner. Um, Make a friend, and I want you to spend just a couple minutes, and I want you to uh, share where these three questions take you in any part of these. You know, what I just shared, what I just read, my dad's letter. Um, where does this take you? How do you work with this idea of judgment and grace and transformation? Make a friend. Take a few minutes. Talk to your partner.
All right, guys, let's pull back together and we'll continue. My um, my hope is is as you as you've had a chance to interact uh, with your friend that as we start verbalizing this these pieces of judgment and relationships that we uh, the people that we've hurt people that we've been hurt by um, it starts to become more real uh, what we say often is we either talk it out or act it out and God's given us a confessional storytelling faith we need to tell the story of our lives and yet we take that word confession and it's like you know I just need to uh, um, own up to all the bad stuff I've done that is such a superficial understanding of confession confession is talking with a friend and just telling your story of hurt um, of longing of shame of guilt of judgment um you to turn over to isaiah chapter 40. and isaiah chapter 40 is such a beautiful picture of god's restoring and faithfulness to renew it's the hinge of the book of isaiah uh, up until now the first 39 chapters has been a lot about um god's going to bring judgment god god is um um, a, a God of judgment, but he always makes a way. I mean, that's, that's the part all through uh, the early part of Isaiah that Isaiah is prophesying um, to a nation that's going through incredible threat uh, from Assyria and Babylon. It would be like what the Christians are facing in Ukraine right now. They are facing evil. And it would be like Isaiah walking in to Ukraine and saying, God's gonna make a way. God's gonna make a way. God's gonna make a way. And so then we come to chapter 40. It's a hinge in the whole book. And Isaiah says this to these people who are struggling. Verse one, comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak softly and tenderly to Jerusalem, but also make it very clear that she has served her sentence, that her sin is taken care of, forgiven forgiven she's been punished enough and more than enough and now it's over and done with and it goes on beautiful passage i forgive you i forgive you i forgive you and then jump over to the end of chapter 40 and most of you know the last few verses of chapter 40 starting verse 27 um says this why would you ever complain O jacob or whine israel what, why, Joe, would you complain? Why, Sam, would you complain? Why, why, Bob, would you complain? Why, Phil, would you ever complain and whine? And it's a quote here. God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. And it's like that self-pity, feeling sorry for myself. I'm in, a, I'm in a bad place. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired, gives fresh strength to dropouts. Now listen to this. This is out of the message, of course. This is a familiar passage. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. God makes a way. God makes a way. God makes a way. Now, just quickly, I want to jump back to this idea of stopping judgment. And I want to show you a clip as we close this morning out of a movie and a book that I would highly, highly recommend that my seminary professors have difficulty with. But they're not here this morning. <laughs> that we know of. That, that we know of. If, if you're here as a seminary professor that taught me, please identify yourself. <laughs> um, but this is out of the shack. And I love this movie. I, I love this uh, whole storyline. 
Um, and Mac is the character, and Mac is bitter and resentful about circumstances that's happened in his life. I won't, I won't spoil the whole story, but Mac is struggling because where he is living is in a place of judgment. He is in a self-imposed hell. And he is confronted by God. And in this storyline, God is, comes in the form of different kinds of characters. And in this one piece, God is in the form of an Indian man. And he's talking to God. And Mac is struggling with what you and I would struggle with when something bad has been done to us. Watch this. He killed my daughter. I want to hurt him. I want him to hurt like he hurt me. I want you to hurt him. I know you do. But he too is my son, and I want to redeem him. Redeem him? He should burn in hell. So we're back to you as the judge. So you, you just let him get away with it? Nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. What he did was horrible. I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. And then what? Forgiveness doesn't establish your relationship. It's just about letting go of his throat. Mac, the pain inside is devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. I can't. You're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't. Judgment is a self-imposed hell. It's a lie from the enemy. And when you hold that judgment, it's like you're the ladybug trapped, trapped. And forgiveness, grace, the grace of Jesus in our life is that which we don't deserve that we extend to others. And when we do, we're the beneficiaries. I'm free. I'm free. When I wrote that letter to my dad and he and I began to have conversation, what replaced anger and judgment inside of me, and I struggled with depression through my 20s and 30s, my depression was lifted. Enjoy and increased ability and power and clarity 
begin to allow me to exercise my life and my gifts the way God had intended. But as long as I clutched on to the bitterness and anger and judgment that I felt toward my dad, I was inhibited and prohibited in being the man that God had created me to be. I'm free. Not as free as I will be, but I'm on my way. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness of us. Father, help us in our judgment um, to extend grace to even those that hurt us, to acknowledge the pain, um, to forgive. As you once said, Lord, they know not what they do. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.